0: Welcome to the first episode of Hackback, a new security podcast that will be discussing security highlights and insights, as well as interesting security topics. Hackback podcast is delivered in two languages, uh, English and Arabic. Feel free to tune to the one that you prefer. I'm your host, Mazen Ahmed, a security consultant with years of experience in conducting penetration testing and AppSec. This is the first episode, hopefully it will go well, and from then we would be releasing the podcast every week or bi-weekly. Uh, we'll keep you posted regarding this one. And uh, let's start. The first part of the uh, for the podcast would be the security highlights. The first one that we have here is the release of Empire 3.0. Empire the Empire Project or the Empire Framework is a post-exploitation project written in Python that is used for doing all of the post-exploitation process when exploiting uh, Windows machines or any machine in general. They also support Linux, uh, exploiting Linux machines and uh, uh, Mac OS but the majority of uh people are using it to exploit uh, Windows machine and gain persistence and doing other further exploitation and lateral movement in uh, Windows environment. The, la- the latest version was 2.5 and it was released in around uh, March 2018 and from then minor fixes were pushed but it was clear that it's becoming an inactive project. Then this company called uh, BC Security started to uh, fork the project and started to push updates regarding uh, bug fixes and other code uh, enhancement to Empire. And they also worked on uh, moving the project to work on Python 3. Originally Empire uh, major developed on Python 2. So this is another addition that BC Security done. No. This is a great thing, uh, I haven't used it yet but I'm pretty sure this would be a very uh, great step to start with uh, 2020 with it. Um, I use Empire a lot and I have a lot of issues that I have faced before because of the in maintenance for the project and with VC Security sponsoring Empire now, this is something that uh, I'm really happy about. And speaking of Python three and Python two, so Python two point x reached its end of life. Uh, first, it was announced in two thousand and fourteen in April two thousand fourteen that the end of uh, of Python two will be in January first of uh, twenty twenty and uh then they moved it to April of twenty twenty in all cases uh Python two point x is reaching its end of life and this is something that they always encourage developers to do in the past years and to move migrate their Python code base to Python three so that they would be receiving security updates in performance updates, uh, enhancement, and etc. Good to see that uh, people are moving now to Python 3. I haven't written a project in the past uh, 3 years that is uh, working on Python 2 main only because of this reason, and now it's official and it's happening so people should be moving to Python 3 now and they are saying that the future maintenance for Python 2 is not guaranteed uh, which means uh, possibly they would be releasing like critical security updates if it's really needed for Python 2 but uh, in general I wouldn't be relying on Python 2 now. So the process of migrating uh, to Python 3 is not that trivial, likely and I understand that that uh, that people uh, why people are not moving this quickly to Python three, because you have to keep in mind that libraries that you are using are compatible, and this is another pain. And then you have to perform through software testing against the performance, to see whether the stack is performing the in the same manner that it's performing in Python two. So a lot of debugging and testing should be done to ensure best performance and stability. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, it's the time for doing it now. And yeah, the next thing we have here is about secret uh, Citrix. So, secret uh, Citrix uh, release and security advisory regarding Citrix uh, ADC. A Citrix application delivery controller stating that is vulnerable to unauthenticated remote code execution vulnerability. The CVE for this one is CVE 2019 19781. It was reported by Positive Technologies. This advisory saying that it uh, it's affecting all supported versions of the product and all supported on platforms including Citrix ADC, Citrix Gateway, 13.0, Nitscaler Gateway, and yeah, I guess this is is the major ones that are available according to this uh, research or this advisory. No proof of concept or exploit is released yet, I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, Citrix ADC is essentially a load balancer product. Uh, According to ThreatPost and positive uh, technologies, more than 80,000 companies are using Citrix ADC and in more than 158 countries. Based on the context and how the advisory is released to the public, I'm predicting that this is an HTTP request smuggling vulnerability In HTTP request smuggling, you can create the same impact that is written in the advisory That's why You typically do not require to be authenticated And you can access internal resources It's It's something that is really linked to load balancers Because Citrix ADC is essentially a load balancer product This is why I'm assuming this If one of these internal resources does not require um, authentication to execute code or perform or filter actions that are executing code in general, then boom, you can customize it to obtain an automated uh, code execution against the environment. Uh, That's my assumption. I'm waiting for the proof of concept to analyze it but something that you should work on in updating in your environment to uh, to make sure that uh, Citrix uh, products are updated in your uh, network otherwise uh, th- something bad could happen And next we have uh, a GitHub vulnerability that was uh, published uh, recently it was with handling Unicode and email addresses so the way it works is that when a user is submitting a password receipt request, they would, of course, uh, enter their email address. And the way that GitHub is normalizing the email address by upper casing it, it's missing something. Uh, if you are upper uh, casing Unicode, then some characters can be. Uppercased to a value that is not the same as it was in the beginning, which means let's say we have uh, the I in, I'm not sure which language is it in Unicode. They call it the dotless I, right? and this when you are when you uppercase it, it gets into a different uh, character value. The researcher used this thing or utilized it in order to send email addresses uh, to to have password received emails sent to another email that are very similar to this uh, that is very similar to the one that was used but a different one that uh, the attacker can control which means let's say Mazen at uh, xyz.com then they would he would uh, create an account on xyz.com and this one would be with the uh, with the output of the, of the upper casing of a dotless i in Unicode. And once he use, uh, and uh, once he uh, initiate a password receipt request in GitHub for Mazen, with a dotless i. GitHub would match it and then would uppercase it and then would send my password uh, my password reset token to that email that is not mine, and it's a pretty neat attack that requires uh, pretty detailed testing. I really like the input and output for this report. It's something that people should be uh, focusing on in testing uh, web applications and software in general. Unicode opens a great attack surface that people should be focusing on. Uh, GitHub fixed the of course, and they rewarded the researcher as far as I recall. Pretty neat research. Uh, Next we have here is Nginx. Nginx suffers from uh an HTTP request smuggling vulnerability. Probably pretty similar to the one that uh, is discussed in the Citrix one, if Citrix was actually vulnerable to HTTP request smuggling. So this HTTP request smuggling is uh, very specific and requires a very specific scenario so there is this handler called error page in Nginx configuration and error page is something that we u- we would use of course to specify your error page that would be given and uh, typically if you ha, uh, you would use it to redirect or to uh, to give uh, the output of an internal URI. In this scenario if you provide it with a 401 as a response uh, status code and you provide it as an external URL uh, you provide the URL or the resource the URI to an external URL then a HTTP request smuggling attack would be possible. I, it's a very neat attack. I have tested it personally, and the exploit is fully working, but the catch is, it's not very general setup that you would see in public environments. I haven't seen the same setup before, but I assume that there are setups that would be having the same one. But yeah, so this one is something that uh, is very nice to read about. Next we have here is wasp security top 10 for APIs, the release of 2019 and it was released on January er, in January 2nd or January third of 2020. And it's very through paper on top security issues for APIs. It's very it's quite important to put more focus on API security. Uh, it's twenty twenty. Everything today is connected to APIs. All our data, all our systems, we use all our banking solutions, all critical infrastructure setups are using APIs. Focusing on testing websites uh, are fine. But I can tell the data resized on the API in the APIs. Exploiting an API would generate the bigger damage. And I like that Wasp is putting this effort in uh, working on documenting and educating about API security. Probably uh, we can dedicate some time for it in the next episode to discuss more how this one is. Uh, uh discuss the new top 10 and uh, discuss how we can use it in testing our applications but for now we can just uh, put some highlights about what might be wrong in the security in the was api security top 10. one thing that i did not like is uh, the api 6 uh, 2019 the mass assignment this one is more of an insecure validation and injection, a typical injection attack that is also discussed in a different, uh, a different category. Even the scenarios for uh, is for for my assignment is for insecure validation. Uh, probably this is something that should be uh, reviewed. Another thing is uh, the API ten the insufficient logging and monitoring so this one is not a security vulnerability by its own but it's a missing security control we had the same discussion before when WASP released WASP top, uh, uh, top 10 for 2017 it was WASP uh, A10 a- a- for 2017 with insufficient logging and monitoring by default uh, not having sufficient monitoring and logging is not a security vulnerability but it's something that it is a must for having a security uh, a secure platform or secure environment you should have good uh, monitoring and logging but not having this does not mean that you are vulnerable to an attack it means that you are doing security wrong basically but it's not a vulnerability this is something that should be precisely uh, written in the WASP documentation. That's from my point of view, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people are doing the same by uh, point. Another one was the improper asset management. Something that is quite important is having a, a proper asset management solution. But still, it's not a security vulnerability by its own. It's a, a security practice. In fact, I encourage everyone to have uh, an excellent asset management if they want to implement security on their organization. That's why I actually developed Full Hunt. If you don't know Full Hunt, uh, Full Hunt is an assets management solution that does all the uh, assets management requirements for you, from discovery to monitoring to scanning for security vulnerabilities, to your to reporting to your security team. But in all cases, improper access management shouldn't be marked as a security vulnerability. It's a missing security practice. That's what I see in the Wasp uh, API security for a top ten for 2019. Of course, I have uh, there are a lot of issues that needs to be reviewed. But in general, it's a quality uh, document that needs to be. Um, written and reviewed by, uh, by researchers and any security professional that is working with API security. And now we move to the special topic area. Our special topic for this podcast is biggest cloud-related hacks in 2019. This one is uh, a technical overview of the biggest hacks that are related to cloud from a fully technical point of view. The first one that we have is Imperva. So Imperva were compromised uh, in 2019. No, it wasn't a compromise actually in 2019. The research or the advisory or the, the news that was outside while we're in 2019 but the hack goes back to 2017. So they were experimenting um, AWS RDS, the relational uh, database system that is in AWS. It's a service that AWS provides and uh, then they copied their database to, uh, the, their database to uh, this test environment in AWS. And then they left uh, the AWS keys for the system in an accessible system that was accessible by, by the public. And a hacker has found this publicly accessible system and utilized the keys into dumping the customer's data. And the thing is, Imperva forgot about this uh, setup or this deployment that they had uh, in AWS RDS, and that's why the actual attack have the actual breach happened. I always encourage clients to do a cleanup after they finish the testing for new services or new uh, technologies or anything in general. Having and larger attack surface would generally uh, take you to the same thing reducing your attack surface would have uh, saved a lot of money and of course saved a lot of uh, security issues like this the other one that we have is Capital One so Capital One had uh, uh, so Capital One had a security breach too, and the credit card application data for customers who applied between two thousand and five and two thousand nineteen were leaked or compromised, and the hack is affecting around one hundred million individuals in the u s and 6 million in Canada. You to get the best statistics uh, I have a link that would be shared in and it was in... yeah, in TechCrunch article The hack is affected... then uh, the attack is happened uh, as a following So Capital One had uh, an SRF vulnerability in one of their apps and Paige Thompson, an ex-employee at uh, AWS exploited this vulnerability in order to request the metadata server and the, the metadata server in the deployment includes the client secret keys for the account. Then she was able to obtain, the of course, the credentials and the access tokens. And then she utilizes the credentials into accessing a protected uh, S3 bucket that holds sensitive files and customer data and all. Once she did that, she dumped it and boom that's all it was a very big security breach that was the discussion for a while in 2019 and I recall that there was some sort of a discussion regarding having a WAF and a a misconfiguration in the WAF they had this word in some sort of an advisory or something and the thing is you cannot I thought that it's sometimes promoted in uh, marketing uh, campaigns and marketing documents for uh, waf solutions that they are pro- uh, pro- protecting against SSRF vulnerabilities in their web application firewalls. In general, this does not sound possible because the in, in general a waf is something that is put in the uh, in front of the web application. And whatever input that is being sent is uh, being uh, analyzed by the WAF. And the fact that you are blocking SSRF vulnerabilities uh, uh, or SSRF inputs means that you are blocking all of the URLs that are being sent. If you're actually doing this, probably you're receiving a lot of false positives. That's why WAF solutions cannot block all the URLs which means they cannot block SSRF uh, inputs which means they can't protect against SSRF correctly something that you should also have in mind when evaluating a web solution or uh, evaluating the threat modeling for your applications and yeah, I believe that we made it to the end of the episode Thank you again for tuning in to Hackback Podcast, and I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback, your comments, and all the inputs that you'd like to have for the next episode. Thank you again, and stay secure.